Hello and welcome to this week's recording of the Worcester News, brought to you by the Equipment Service for the Blind. Our service is free, but if you wish to send a donation or any comments that you have regarding our service, we always love to hear from you. Just put a note in your wallet. I'd like to thank Anne Briggs for a donation which we received from her this week. Thank you very much, Anne. I am Sally Rowe and my husband Ian will be reading with me and Alex Gwynn is our engineer and Carol Hartle is our team administrator. Welcome to any new readers uh, that we may have this week. We will be reading the news for the week beginning Friday the 30th of July until and including Thursday the 5th of August. We will include headline news stories and then a selection of articles of general interest and some sport. We will end our contribution with the obituaries. Um, this today sunrise is five thirty-seven a.m. and sunset is eight fifty-one. Our thought for the week is from Ephesians two verses four, eight, and nine. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And just before we start the news, I'll open the birthday book. And on Thursday the 5th of August is Susan Gibb, um, and on the 8th of August, Eva Shepherd. So happy birthday to those two ladies. Hope you have, a, have had a very nice day or will be having a nice day. And now I'll pass you over to Ian, who's going to give you some useful phone numbers and then tell you a little, a few things which are on in the local area. Uh, thank you. Uh, firstly, for the phone numbers... Uh, the number for us here at Colin Chance House is 01905 767766. NHS Direct is on treble one. Out of Hours GP Medical Assistance, uh, 0300 1233211. That's just between 6 and 8 pm. The Worcester Hub, 01905 Seven six five seven six five. Crime Stoppers is on O eight hundred Treble Five Treble One. Worcester County Council Here to Help is O one nine O five seven six eight zero five three Option Three. The Community Risk Team Fire Safety is on O eight hundred O three two Double One Double Five. For nuisance call BT or Plusnet, it's 1572. Uh, Worcester Live is on 01905 More Morven Theatres, 
01684892277. The Norbury Theatre is on 01995770154. Walking Group for Visually Impaired 01684891297 or 07920144614. And lastly, the Samaritans, which is a free line, is 116123. And now moving to some of the events uh, currently occurring. Morven Theatre, from the 9th to the 14th of August, is playing A Woman in Black every evening and matinees, Wednesdays and Saturday. Uh, uh, performances at 7.30 and 2.30. At the Huntingdon Hall, an evening with Nigel Owens, MBE, will be on Monday the 9th of August at 7.30pm. And the Swan Theatre uh, will be performing the Roy Orbison Story, 7.30pm on Thursday the 12th of August, and Forever in Blue Jeans on Friday the 13th of August at 7.30pm. Uh, now for an item at Six Ways. Uh, with Covid restrictions having been finally lifted in July, August promises to be a great month with some of Worcestershire's most iconic events returning. Six Ways Stadium is playing host to a number of events with three weeks of West End shows. The finishing touches are being made to the trio of productions, which kicks off with an evening of ABBA on Friday the 6th of August, followed by an evening of Queen on Saturday, August the 7th. An evening of Tina takes place on Friday, August the 27th. We are very excited to open up fully again and welcome as many guests as possible into an environment which is as safe as it can be, said Peter Kelly, Managing Director at Worcester Warriors. After 16 hard months, we all deserve to have some great entertainment with our family and friends, and the Six Ways family looks forward to welcoming you all. For full details of what's on at Six Ways in August, as well as ticket prices, head to hwps colon forward slash forward slash sixwaysstadium dot co dot uk forward slash 2021 forward slash 07 forward slash 29 forward slash west hyphen end hyphen shows hyphen set hyphen two hyphen bring hyphen joy hyphen two hyphen community forward slash some of the county's best music festivals are returning this summer the Sunshine Festival at Upton gets underway over the August Bank Holiday weekend of the 26th to the 29th. Performers will include Wet, 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 James Blunt and Tony Hadley. Another major county event is Lakefest. Set in the grounds of Eastnor Castle in Herefordshire, the festival will, will include Sir Tom Jones and Seasick Steve turning out at Fish Meadow. Other acts include Ash 
and razor light. Worcester Cathedral will host the leaves of the trees beginning today, Thursday, an installation of 5,000 steel hope leaves as a reflective memorial to the effects of the pandemic. The installation is designed to honour those who have lost their lives, but also to allow everyone to take a moment to contemplate what we have been through and to think about loved ones. The leaves will be laid out in the Cathedral's Lady Chapel from Thursday the 5th of August until Tuesday the 31st of August, creating a beautiful impression of autumn leaves fallen from the trees. Appearing as though naturally scattered by the wind, the leaves symbolise the past and what has transpired. However, the leaf is also emblematic of the future. The artist, Peter Walker, chose a sycamore maple leaf as it symbolises strength, protection, eternity and clarity. The exhibition will be available to visit during normal cathedral visiting hours, 10am to 5pm, Monday to Saturday, last entry at 4.30pm, and 1pm to 3pm on Sundays, last entry at 2.30pm. As part of this, 60 Worcestershire and Dudley schools have used paper leaves to create their own displays based on the exhibition. From today, August the 5th, visitors will be able to view a selection of these designs and add their own hope leaf to the paper display in the Dean's Chapel. Leaves are priced at £25, including VAT and postage and packing in the UK only, and you will also receive a certificate of authentication signed by the artist. A proportion of the profits support the work of the cathedral. For more information or to order your leaf, please visit worcestercathedral.co.uk forward slash what's hyphen on forward slash the leaves hyphen of hyphen the hyphen trees. And lastly, an event to occur in the cathedral. Worcester Cathedral will be transported into space with the arrival of a new exhibition in September. Space, a show of lights and sound, will adopt the cathedral's interior between Wednesday, September the 22nd and Saturday the 25th. The exhibit has been designed by award-winning artistic collaboration Lux Humuralis, consisting of sculptor Peter Walker and composer David Harper, who have brought similarly stunning projections to cathedrals across the country. Stephen Edwards, residentially canon of Worcester Cathedral, said, We're very excited to be hosting the Space Exhibition in September, and it promises to be a spectacular show featuring an immersive internal sound and light journey that will transform the interior of our majestic cathedral. Projects like this are very exciting and important for the cathedral as they allow visitors to experience our magnificent building in the evening and in a different way. We are always keen to show off the diversity of our stunning building, attract new visitors and allow people the opportunity to experience the cathedral in all its glory. Dr Edwards believes the event is just what the city needs and should offer something for all the family. 
The show is designed to appeal to all ages and we can't wait to welcome lots of visitors to enjoy a magical evening walking amongst the stars and journeying to the edge of the universe. The visual spectacular allows visitors to go on a journey through space and time and the chance to walk among the stars as sound and light art are projected onto the stunning architectural features within the cathedral. Visitors will be immersed in sound and light as they have a chance to explore and contemplate their own personal journeys. After a difficult 18 months, we hope the local community will support this fantastic event and enjoy it as much as we are sure we will. Tickets will go on sale in early August. Entry times will be staggered each evening, with the the exhibit open from 7.30pm and extending to 10pm. Tours are expected to last between 40 and 60 minutes. And now I'll pass you back to Sally to start on the headline stories. Thank you, Ian. Starting on Friday the 30th of July, a drunk spat at officer. A belligerent belligerent drunk care home worker who spat at a police officer in Worcester during the pandemic walked out of court with a fine. Abdul Sahafi spat at the police officer during the COVID-19 pandemic, shouting, I spit in your face, during the ugly incident in the city's Broad Street. However, the care home worker said he was the victim of an assault and the police had not shown him enough empathy after he was attacked. The 50-year-old of The Moors, Worcester, admitted the assault on the emergency worker, PC Bloor, acting in the execution of his functions and being drunk and disorderly in a public place when he appeared before city magistrates yesterday. It was around 1am on Wednesday, June the 9th, when the incident occurred. The details were relayed to the defendant through a Moroccan-Arabic interpreter who appeared over video link. Mark Hambling, prosecuting, said it was 12.55am when police were called to a location where a male is following a group of females. He added, police arrived five minutes later to see this gentleman arguing with a G4S money transportation worker and the gentleman is approached by PC Bloor. PC Bloor describes the gentleman in his statement as being belligerent and refusing to give his details before he walks away. Due to his erratic behaviour and his non-cooperation, the gentleman is handcuffed. The other officer present believes him to be drunk. The gentleman turns at one point towards PC Bloor and says, I spit in your face. The officer moves away and the gentleman spits at the officer and narrowly misses him. Sahafi has a previous conviction for harassment from 2015. Belinda Harris, defending, said, Sahafi had been out socialising that evening. He had been out drinking and accepts that he was drunk. He was alone and had not been talking to anyone else. On his way home, he was assaulted by someone pushed to the floor and suffered a cut and bruise to his left leg. Police were called by someone else. They arrived at the scene and he felt the police were not listening to the complaint he wanted to make. He tried to show them his injuries, but he felt that they weren't interested and as a result he became quite frustrated by their lack of empathy. 
He has no real recollection of any spitting or threatening to spit, but he does not dispute what the officer said. She explained that he worked in a care home earning £200 to £300 per week. Magistrates fined him £200 for the common assault on the police officer and made no separate penalty for the drunk and disorderly offence. They further ordered him to pay costs of £135 and a statutory victim surcharge. Uh, the lead story for Saturday, the 31st of July... Coronavirus cases at county packing site. An outbreak of COVID-19 has been reported at a food packing site near Evesham. Vale Fresco has confirmed 18 cases of the virus with staff self-isolating. The workforce is one of many in the Evesham area employed to carry out packing work, which is vital to the UK food supply chain and the local economy. Worcestershire County Council is working with Public Health England Midlands and Worcestershire Regulatory Services to support Vale Fresco. Dr Catherine Cobain, Director of Public Health in Worcestershire, said, We are working with Vale Fresco to ensure all necessary preventive measures are in place and we will continue to monitor the situation closely. COVID-19 has not gone away. And this outbreak is a reminder that we still need to do the right thing. There are lots of small things we can choose to do to keep ourselves, our family, our neighbours and friends safe. Chairman of the Vale Fresco Board of Directors, Vito Pallard, said, We are working closely with Public Health England and Worcestershire County Council to deal with the outbreak. All necessary procedures are in place and staff are being supported. Our workers are vital to the food production lines of the UK and their health and well-being are of paramount importance. Our aim is to continue operations as normal. Vale Fresco was established back in 2006 following a merger of two firms, V&S Pallard and G&G &G Mauro both of which have been operating for over 25 years. Crops grown on-site include whole head lettuce, baby lettuce and various oriental vegetables. Also grown are crops including courgettes and tomatoes. There have been a number of Covid outbreaks at farms and packing facilities during the pandemic. Last summer saw a major outbreak at Rook Row Farm near Malvern with more than 142 cases reported last July. It also emerged workers from the vegetable farm run by A.S. Green & Co. had visited shops in Worcester and Malvern, including the Morrisons at the Malvern Retail Park. Monday, August the 2nd. Restraining order for phone threats. A jobless city man abused a woman trying to help him get back to work, texting her... Do us a favour and kill yourself. James Craig of Moore Street, Worcester, admitted sending threatening messages to the jobs coach but could not explain why he had done it. A probation officer suggesting it may have been because earlier texts had been unanswered. The 62-year-old sent the messages to the Fusion job coach for Platform Housing Group based at The Hive, whose role is to help people get back into work. 
Craig admitted sending the threatening text for the purpose of causing distress or anxiety to the recipient, an offence under the Malicious Communications Act on June the 21st when he appeared before magistrates in Worcester. Although the meetings normally take place in the Hive, during the pandemic, many of them had taken place online, said Mark Hambling, prosecuting. The woman who had her phone off at the time the text was sent switched her work mobile back on when a series of texts arrived at once from the defendant. One of the texts read, If you're still alive, then do us a favour by killing yourself. Another read, Good morning, I hope you're well. You're going to be dead by July the 31st. Mr Hambling said the woman had been shocked to receive the messages. She felt frightened and scared to the point that she informed her line manager what had happened and didn't really feel comfortable leaving her house. In interview, the defendant said he was remorseful and wished to make amends. He was given a conditional discharge for 2013 and in 2013 for harassment. Gary Harper, defending, said, This conviction was spent and asked magistrates to treat him as a man of good character. He said Craig was stone-cold sober when he sent the texts. He appreciates she would have been upset and didn't know why he sent them, but he accepts full well what he did. The defendant had even told his solicitor, I would feel devastated if I received these messages. In reference to a potential restraining order, Mr Harper said his client had to attend the hive or he would be sanctioned and will have no money at all. Magistrates imposed a 12-month community order to include 130 hours of unpaid work and ordered him to pay costs of £135 and a statutory victim surcharge of £95. They also made a two-year restraining order which prevents Craig having any contact directly or indirectly with the complainant. Moving on to Tuesday, August the 3rd. Go up a gear or lose cash. Council told to get serious about active travel to receive funds. The County Council is at risk of losing out on government money for walking and cycling unless it can prove it is taking active travel seriously. Worcestershire County Council is one of only a handful of authorities across the country to be asked for more proof it is still committed to its active travel plans before government funding can be handed over. The Department for Transport has published a list highlighting several local authorities that ministers needed further assurances from before money, which could amount to hundreds of thousands of pounds, could be handed over. The council had already lost out on more than half a million pounds in government funding after its walking and cycling bids failed to meet the criteria for emergency active travel funding last year. In a warning to council leaders on Friday, Transport Minister Chris Heaton-Harris said authorities that had prematurely removed or weakened active travel schemes would see the funding reduced or removed. Councils have also been warned they could lose out on future funding if schemes are not up to scratch. We have no interest in requiring councils to keep schemes which are proven not to work, 
that proof must be presented, he said. Schemes must not be removed prematurely or without proper evidence and too soon to collect proper evidence about their effects. Asked about the inclusion of the county on the list, Councillor Alan Amos, Cabinet Minister for Highways and Transport, said, We have responded to a request from the Department of Transport for additional information to support our bid. We expect to receive the outcome of the bid by September. A one-year review of the Department for Transport's gear change, cycling and walking plan said the government would reduce funding to councils, particularly in urban areas, which did not take active travel seriously. In separate comments, Prime Minister Boris Johnson also warned that councils opposing active travel schemes needed to offer viable alternatives to combat rising traffic levels. I support councils of all parties which are trying to promote cycling and bus use, he said. And if you are going to oppose these schemes, you must tell us what your alternative is, because trying to squeeze more cars and delivery vans on the same roads and hoping for the best is not going to work. Last year, it was revealed that Worcestershire County Council would only receive 784,000 of its 1.3 million bid for emergency government active travel funding. At 58%, the gap between the amount of money the County Council bid for and how much it actually set to receive was among the worst in the country. Cycling campaigners had called the Council's bids inadequate. In August, a leak council presentation stated senior Conservative councillors had made it clear they did not support any schemes that resulted in the loss of car parking spaces or road space for cyclists or pedestrians. The council later said the slide did not reflect its actual policies. Wednesday, August the 4th. Hospitals facing increase in weights. The number of people waiting for treatment at Worcestershire hospitals has grown to 51,000 according to the latest NHS figures. A total of 51,005 people in the county are waiting to be treated at the end of May, as waiting lists for hospital care grew by 4% in a month. The backlog of cancer patients waiting over 62 days also increased to 231 from 211 in April, with 81 people across the county waiting over three months for treatment. The news came as up to a dozen ambulances were queuing outside Worcester Royal Hospital and the A&E department, urging people to think twice before arriving. Worcestershire Acute NHS warned patients they could experience longer waiting times at emergency departments as they were extremely busy. According to the latest figures, just over half of the patients in Worcestershire were seen within 18 weeks, the target waiting time for non-urgent or routine referrals, which is way below the 92% target set by the NHS itself. 
The average for all hospitals in England treating patients within 18 weeks currently stands at just over 67% as the number of people waiting for treatment surged to just over 5.3 million by the end of May. Comparing the figures year on year, just 1% of patients in Worcestershire were waiting more than a year according to figures from June 2020 but they had increased to 12% by May. Half of patients had been waiting more than 18 weeks for treatment and at the end of June last year that had fallen slightly to 48% by May. A total of 35,013 people in Worcestershire were waiting for treatment at the end of June last year but that had risen by almost 55% to 51,005 patients by the end of May, the latest month of data available. The number of patients in the care of Worcestershire Acute Hospital NHS Trust, which runs Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester and the Alexander Hospital in Redditch, waiting more than 18 weeks for treatment, jumped to 24,477 in May an increase of 415 patients when compared to April. A total of 4,072 people have been waiting between 40 weeks and a year for treatment in Worcestershire, but those waiting over a year reduced slightly from 6,287 in April to 5,920 in May. Of those patients waiting over a year, 2,318 have been waiting over 16 months, with 516 needing trauma and orthopaedic surgery, including treatment on bones and joints. According to the figures, 506 people were waiting for urology treatment such as kidney and bladder disorders, and 508 patients were waiting for oral surgery. Seven specialities have more than a 1,000 patients waiting more than 18 weeks, which is more than three quarters of all of the Trust's 18-week target breaches. Three of those specialities now have over 3,000 patients breaching waiting targets, and those seven specialities made up 85% of all patients waiting over a year for treatment. The Acute Trust was unavailable to comment on these figures. Meanwhile, at midday yesterday, there were 22 people waiting to be seen outside Worcestershire A&E, while outside almost a dozen ambulances also sat waiting with patients. The Trust said caring for so many people while dealing with COVID-19 measures was a challenge. The Trust tweeted, Our emergency departments are extremely busy, Please help us to treat the most seriously ill patients as quickly as possible by choosing your health service wisely. Go to https double slash one 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 nhs dot uk or visit a minor injury unit to get urgent care with much shorter waits. Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of the Trust, repeated these sentiments. Our emergency departments are very busy now with patient numbers well above what we were seeing this time two years ago. Caring for so many people while also making sure we protect our patients and staff from the risk of COVID-19 is a significant challenge and one that our dedicated staff are rising to. 
teams across our two emergency departments, GP surgeries, community nursing and social care have been working incredibly hard to ensure patients receive appropriate and safe care throughout one of the most challenging periods in the history of the NHS. He added we would urge the public to contact NHS 111 either online or by calling 111 to receive free urgent care advice before attending our A&E department and to only use 999 in a life-threatening emergency. Please also remember you can seek help from a local minor injury unit for a variety of injuries including wounds, sprains, strains and minor burns with much shorter waiting times. Moving on to Thursday, August the 5th, new man not good at his job. Birdman tells trial of defendant's anger at victim. A bird watcher known as Bill the Birdman said a murder suspect appeared angry his ex had a new handyman before the alleged killing. William Mapp was giving evidence at Worcester Crown Court at the trial of Mark Chilman, accused of the murder of his ex-partner's new man, Neil Parkinson. Chilman, 52, of Old Post Office, Pencombe, denies murdering Mr Parkinson, whose body was found in his burnt-out car in Ankerdine Road, Cotheridge, near Worcester, on December the 12th. The prosecution case is that Chilman, rejected by his former partner Juliet Adcock, hit her new partner over the back of the head, which rendered him unconscious. They argue that Chilman then staged it to look like his 66-year-old love rival, a retired father of two, had committed suicide by setting him alight in his BMW. Mr Mapp said he was allowed onto Gilt Edge Farm in Broadwas, where Chilman and Miss Adcock lived because he had two bird boxes there, one for nesting kestrels and the other for tawny owls. They had been installed for about ten years, and he knew both Chilman and his then partner. He was on speaking terms with both of them and would chat with them when he came to the farm. I just thought they were man and wife, he said. He would show his appreciation in letting him come onto the land to maintain the bird boxes by giving them chocolates or boxes of fresh vegetables as a thank you. He told the jury he only became aware of the relationship between Miss Adcock and Chilman had ended last year, saying he had heard that information from someone in the village. He said he didn't say nothing to either Chilman or Miss Adcock about what he had learned. Mr Mapp said he became aware there was another man on the farm, Neil Parkinson, from Chilman himself as the defendant was working on building a brick wall at the entrance to Gilt Edge Farm. He said she's got a new handyman and he's not good at doing his job, he told the court. Mr Mapp said he did not want to get into a conversation about it and so he left. He believed this meeting occurred in late September of last year. 
He also said he had received a text from Juliet Adcock in October last year expressing concern about Chilman, but no details of this were disclosed in court. Mr Mapp accepted during cross-examination from Alastair Williamson QC for the defendant that he was known as Bill the Birdman. He said he had seen Chilman on a dirt track through some woods near the farm on October the 28th. The witness said he saw a vehicle, a big silver Mitsubishi, which he believed belonged to someone he knew. But when he gave the man he believed was the owner a ring, he answered telling Mr Mapp he was at home. Mr Mapp then said he saw Chilman, telling him he thought the vehicle belonged to someone else. Chilman replied, no, it's mine now. He told you, didn't he, that he was keeping an eye on the place, the place being Gilt Edge Farm. He was making sure there was no one hanging about, said Mr Williamson. Mr Mapp accepted this was what Chilman had said. The trial continues. And now some items uh, of general interest. A long-serving volunteer at St Richard's Hospice has been honoured with an award. Stella Reeve of Hallow will receive the badge of the Order of Mercy after volunteering at the Worcester Hospice as a complementary therapist since 2006. She said, It is an unexpected honour for me to receive this award. I'm very grateful for the encouragement and friendship of the whole hospice team. It has been a real privilege and pleasure to serve alongside them. Volunteering has been richly rewarding for me, especially in getting to know many patients and to be able to use aromatherapy to truly complement their other treatments. My thanks again to the hospice team for nominating me for the award. Mrs Reeve recently retired from the role where she was pivotal in the introduction of aromatherapy oils and studied at the Christie Hospital and the Royal Marsden to aid her work. The honour is awarded by the League of Mercy, headed by Lord Lingfield, and will be presented at a ceremony in September. Only 50 of the honours are handed out each year, celebrating the very best of the volunteer sector from across, across the country, and is only open to those who have volunteered for at least seven years. Mrs Reeve was nominated by St Richard's Hospice, which each year supports more than 3,300 patients, family members and bereaved people in Worcestershire. Chief Executive June Patel said, Stella is a truly deserving winner of the Order of Mercy for her service to St Richard's Hospice, which has gone so much beyond that expected of a volunteer. And in the words of a patient, Stella gives a wonderful sense of well-being. Her approach to patient well-being has enlightened our clinical team to the benefits of aromatherapy alongside medical treatment, providing a holistic approach to patient care. In particular, Stella has pioneered the use of essential oils in mouth care, and this has resulted in significant benefits to patients, relieving conditions such as dry mouth, mouth ulcers and pain. Relief of these debilitating symptoms has afforded patients greatly improved quality of life, nutrition and social interaction. A councillor has criticised First Bus for cancelling a service. He says services nearly 1,000 residents. Councillor Richard Udall, 
who represents St John's on Worcestershire County Council, said the decision to stop the 31 bus route is sneaky, nasty and underhand. He said, first bus have, without consultation, permanently closed the 31 bus route, which serviced Lawn Road and Coma Road, serving nearly 1,000 residents. They claim to have removed the service during the pandemic because the smaller buses needed to travel over the Coma Road Bridge would not allow social distancing. They have now decommissioned these smaller buses and have removed the service. He continued, this is a sneaky, nasty and very underhand move. I know they are a commercial business, but removing a service in this way is not in their long-term interest or in the interests of the bus travelling public. It does not promote public transport and it upsets and angers a lot of St John's residents. LMS have provided a replacement service, but it is just two buses a day compared with a much more regular service provided by the 31 bus, which was every 20 minutes throughout the day. A spokesman for First Bus said it is monitoring demand for the service. First Worcester Managing Director Nigel Eggleton said... While we work through the pandemic, our bus network has and continues to be financially supported by the Department for Transport and whilst this provision is in place, we need to run services as efficiently as possible, meeting the demands of people travelling on our buses. We are continuing to work with Worcestershire County Council on the Public Transport Recovery Plan and whilst bus services are still around two-thirds of where we were pre-COVID, we will continue to monitor the demand and run services where they are required. Worcester Live has received funding that will allow it to make its facilities at the Swan Theatre more accessible for disabled performers. The £5,000 grant from the Theatre Trust will be used to make the backstage area of the theatre more accessible with improvements to the changing rooms and showers. The small grant scheme is being run in association with the Lindbury Trust and Theatre Trust Marketing and Communications Manager Justine Harvey is thrilled to be able to help the Worcester venue. We were delighted to be able to support this work as it is great to see a project focusing on removing the barriers for performers and staff which can often be overlooked. While theatres have been adapting their front-of-house spaces for a long time, there is still a way to go in making the theatres everywhere fully accessible. Progress back-of-house has been slower and theatre performers, technicians and other creatives can be prevented from accessing and working in some theatres. This project from Worcester Live will help to remove some of the barriers that the building currently creates. She added that the Theatre Trust hopes to replicate this progress across the country, saying, Theatres are at the heart of their communities, so it's vital they can be enjoyed by everyone. It is important to remove barriers to engagement and opportunity and ensure the performers, performances and audiences are representative of the broad range of experience within a community. Mel Julians, Head of Marketing at Worcester Live, is excited for what this grant can do for the venue. She said, we currently have no accessible dressing rooms at the Swan Theatre and the funding will therefore enable us to provide facilities to accommodate the disabled actors at the theatre. 
This will comply with our vision of becoming more accessible and inclusive by creating facilities that support this objective. One of the city's most popular events has again fallen victim to the Covid pandemic. The Worcester Music Festival, due to be held in September, has been cancelled, with organisers saying they are hoping for better next year. In a statement shared online, they said, We are saddened to confirm that Worcester Music Festival will not take place this year. As a charity festival run by a group of dedicated volunteers, it simply isn't feasible for us to plan a weekend-long event across the city. Our local venues are in need of stability following months of closures and potential changes and restrictions over the coming months could mean that the time, effort and hard work our voluntary team throw into curating such a special and intimate event each year goes to waste. Despite the cancellation, the festival's chosen charity, Worcester Community Trust, remains its chosen charity, with would-be festival-goers still encouraged to support their work. The statement added, Our 2020 charity, Worcester Community Trust, will continue to be our 2022 charity. WCT has been carrying out phenomenal work for the Worcester community throughout the pandemic and any support you can offer the incredible team in the meantime is greatly appreciated. We'd like to say a huge thank you to everyone who has reached out, shared memories and generally supported the local and wider music scene over what has been a challenging year for both the arts and life events. At the heart of Worcester Music Festival is a passionate and vibrant community and we can't wait to be reunited once more. So while Worcester Music Festival may not be taking place in its usual capacity this year, we may have something else up our sleeves. Worcester Music Festival is a free three-day musical festival with more than 250 performances supporting and encouraging live music. Festival events take place over one weekend at many venues in Worcester City Centre with a series of music and dance themed workshops held, led by professionals and aimed at people of all ages and abilities. Controversial plans to build more than 90 new homes on the outskirts of Worcester have been sent back to the drawing board after planners voted to defer what one councillor called a wretched design. That criticism came from councillor Andy Roberts, who was especially critical of the design of some of the three-storey flats to be built at the former Ketch car boot site. Speaking of the plans, he said... We have people in Worcester who lived in places looking like that in the 1950s. It was after the war and they were great. This isn't the 1950s. Over the years we've had some pretty wretched designs come before us and this design is wretched. Council officers had recommended approval of the plans but concerns from residents and councillors about the design and layout of the site meant they could not do so. Councillors were reviewing plans by Rooftop Housing Association to build 92 homes on land off Broomhall Way. 
At the planning meeting on July the 29th, they were told of the many objections from neighbours to the site, with worries over road access and school and medical provision being highlighted. The site had previously been given outline planning permission for 81 new homes being earmarked in the South Worcestershire Development Plan. The committee heard from St Peter's Parish Councillor David Saunders, who said the council did not think it a suitable plan for the site. He said, The initial issue from the council is the suitability for this site, mainly for reasons of access and safety. We were concerned about a lack of regular and reliable public transport into and out of Worcester City Centre, and we are also concerned about noise and pollution from the nearby dual carriageway. Councillor Saunders' concerns were echoed by Ward Councillor Steve Mackay, who said the visuals of the site with multi-storey buildings lining the road would present a negative image to visitors coming into and going out of the city. Councillors were asked to vote on a deferral of the plans to allow the agents to redraw the design, presenting them to council at a later date. This year's Worcester City Runs will be boosted by the addition of a family event founded by athletics legend Paula Radcliffe. The popular Worcester City Half Marathon, 10K and Young Athletes Run will be joined by Paula's families on track, powered by Atombank, which will see family teams compete 10K in a relay. Paula said, everyone has been impacted by the pandemic and we've seen the effect that restrictions have had on people's physical and mental health. As we emerge from the crisis, getting active is more vital than ever and our format makes that easy and fun to do as a family. I'm really excited about bringing families on track to Worcester in September. Returning on Saturday, September the 4th and Sunday the 5th, the Air Products Worcester City Runs are delivered through a partnership between Worcester City Council and Events of the North. The Half Marathon, 10K and Young Athletes Run have grown in size year on year, attracting both leading club athletes and fun runners, many of whom raise money for good causes, including the event's official charity partner, Worcestershire Ambassadors. For 2021, the weekend of events will begin with Paula's Families on Track, which will be hosted on Worcester Racecourse on the morning of Saturday, September the 4th. Paula will supervise the event and will also take part with her children, Isla and Raphael. Families on Track gives family groups the opportunity to complete a 10k distance in a continuous relay in laps of either 1,000 metres, 500 metres or 250 metres that allows everyone to contribute no matter what their age or ability. Family teams of between three and five runners can take part with at least one member aged under 16 and one aged 18 or over. A team place for a family group of three, four or five costs £40, which includes a Nike Paula's Families on Track t-shirt, medal and event goodie bag for every team member. Anyone who booked a place on the Air Products Worcester City Runs in 2020 has had their entry automatically carried over to 2021 unless they indicated otherwise. 
Places on the Worcester City Half Marathon cost £37 for unaffiliated runners, £35 for affiliated, and places on the Worcester City 10K cost £28 for unaffiliated runners, £26 for affiliated. Places on the Young Athletes Run, one mile for under 11s and 3K for under 16s, cost £8. Paula's family's on track is £40 per team. Visit www.worcester-cityrun.com A group of Worcester school children and professional filmmakers have created a Shadventure animation about endangered fish on the Severn. River Conservation Project Unlocking the Severn worked with professional filmmakers and animators to harness the creativity of Cherry Orchard Primary School pupils close to the historic new fish pass that the project has built to help endangered shad fish. The children's drawings, voices and stop-motion animations have been used to create a charming animated short film that will spread awareness even further. The children's vivid illustrations tell the story of two young twait shad, an endangered species of fish, that migrate into the Severn from the sea and face challenges on their journey to reach their historic spawning grounds. The seven-minute animation explains the problems that weirs cause as a barrier to fish and how a fish pass can be the solution to get them back upriver to spawn. The film was produced with the very creative input of the children of Worcester, together with project staff from Unlocking the Seven and professional filmmakers and animations from Bigger House Films. Over the course of four days, more than 180 Year 5 and 6 children took part in the workshops and the whole school of more than 600 children were involved in colouring pictures of the shadfish and contributing sound effects. Tom Stubbs, filmmaker, Bigger House Films, explains the process. The children are a powerhouse of energy. At the end of each session, we carried away a heavy box of precious art treasure. It was amazing to, to them compre to compress this energy by curating the drawings and voices we'd recorded into this collaborative film. Mark Miles, teacher at Cherry Orchard, said, There has been such a buzz in school about joining up with this conservation project. Every day since the animation workshops, children have been asking him when they can watch the finished film. Now they've seen it. They think it's amazing and they're so excited to spot their own artwork. Best of all, the film really effectively tells the story of this rare fish migrating on their local river and how these fish are finally being helped past barriers built way back in Victorian times. Plans for a major regeneration of a part of Worcester have been given the green light by councillors. Developer Sheriff's Gate wants to redevelop parts of Shrub Hill in a scheme costing more than £150 million. The plans include new apartments, a multi-screen cinema, food and drink outlets, a 20,000 square foot gym and a new 200 bed hotel. There will also be a multi-storey car park with space for 850 cars, including electric charging points. 
Plans were approved by councillors at a meeting of Worcester City Council's planning committee when approval was given for a Section 106 agreement, meaning the developers need to put money forward for additional improvements. Under the planning permission, Section 106, money has been allocated for a Shrub Hill contribution of 3780000 a transportation contribution of £354,710, an education contribution of 1764 per open market dwelling for flats of two or more bedrooms only, an open space contribution of £601 per one-bed dwellings and £921 per two-plus-bed dwellings. The overall sum of the contributions equates to a total of £4,791,158, meaning that work can now begin on the 468-unit scheme. This includes 151-bed units, 310 two-bed units and eight three-bed units. Stenard Harrison, Managing Director of Sheriff's Gate, said the news was a long time coming and was an exciting step forward for the city. He said, while it has been a long time coming, the decision's fantastic news. We are thrilled that we can now commence work on Worcester's largest ever regeneration projects. Our scheme will create a gateway to the city and bring huge social and economic benefits to Worcester. Mr Harrison added, work will commence on site with immediate effect. We will initially be delivering the affordable housing in advance of the other phases. The first phase will consist of 212 units in a mix of one and two bed properties. This will allow the younger generation of Worcester to get on the property ladder and own their own home. It is the Worcester coffee shop named the best of the best by TripAdvisor users for the second year in a row. But Francini Osario, owner of Francini Café de Colombia in Angel Street, said he would not be resting on his laurels. He has plans to potentially expand to a rooftop terrace and hopes to be able to franchise their brand too. It has been a whirlwind six years for Mr Osario and his wife Sandra after setting up in a former pub on the outskirts of the city centre. I said to my wife, if we can make it work in that corner, we can make anything work. They certainly have made it work with a coffee made from beans from their farms in Pico and Finlandia in Colombia, attracting travellers from across the UK. Coffee lovers from Cornwall, Bristol, Birmingham have made the journey to try the coffee in the unique location. They put their success down to their hard work, vision and staff. My wife and I do a lot of work in the cafe. We don't drop our standards and we are on top of every detail. The award is a reflection of my staff as well and the details of how we want things to be done. I wasn't expecting to get it two years in a row. We're very unique in the sense that we are different to everyone else and we have a concept that we don't want people to just come in and have a cup of coffee. We want them to experience switching off to what they're doing outside. Everyone's always rushing about and working, so we want to be somewhere they can relax. 
The couple have been in the coffee business for 25 years, originally working at exhibitions including the Three Counties showground. Though the pandemic caused some issues for the cafe, they have now returned to serving as many people as they were pre-Covid. They are now even roasting their own beans in Oxford rather than getting a third party to do it for them in Manchester. A lot of people travel for our coffee, so we must be going in the right direction. We never relax, though, as we are always looking for changes. A resident at a Worcester care home has been recognised for her incredible wartime service. Joan Ford, 96, a resident at Perry Manor in Charles Hastings Way, received a special not-forgotten gift box to celebrate her time as a voluntary aid detachment nurse during the Second World War. On the day, Brigadier Roger Brunt, CBEDL, a deputy lieutenant of Worcestershire, visited the home for a special socially distanced ceremony where Joan was presented with the token which contained war memorabilia including a key ring, tea towel and wartime items. Catherine Matthews, home manager at Perry Manor, said, Joan's story is incredible, having dedicated her life to helping others, whether it was as a voluntary aid detachment nurse or during her with the brownies which she joined in the 1930s. She is also well known for supporting an array of fundraising initiatives for children's play equipment, helping the shape vital community spaces by selling handcrafted items. So we were delighted to see her selflessness acknowledged and celebrated. On behalf of everyone at Perry Manor, I'd like to say a big thank you to Brigadier Brunt for making Joan's day so special. It was a beautiful ceremony and there's no doubt Joan will remember it for a long time. Born in 1925 in Eltham, maid of Kent Joan, became a voluntary aid detachment nurse during the Second World War, later working for the Red Cross and running a cadet unit. A lifelong lover of the outdoors, She is thought to be one of the UK's oldest brownies, having joined in 1933 and renewed her promise recently. After her time in the Red Cross, she returned to the brownies as a first aid instructor and took part in many camps, including an international camp in Malvern in 1967. After Joan retired, she joined the Trefoil Guild, another branch of Girl Guiding, working with groups across Worcestershire and raising funds for local causes. A Worcester elephant sculpture is fenced off often every night as it is more susceptible to damage, organisers have revealed. This elephant sculpture is one of 66 dotted around the city to raise money for St Richard's Hospice. However, one elephant in the big parade trail is particularly special and so is fenced off. A spokeswoman for St Richard's said, This particular elephant is dedicated to a former St Richard's patient, Keith Webb, and some of the items included in the mosaic belonged to him. It was very moving for the family to see the sculpture for the first time and spot the items they recognised. It is fenced off every evening to protect it. Thousands of elephant seekers have flocked to take on the Worcester Big Parade Sculpture Trail in its first week. From all over the UK, 
visitors have been spotted the have spotted the brightly coloured elephants on the open air trail through the city streets and public spaces. Since the trail launched on Tuesday, July the thirteenth, the app has recorded more than twenty two thousand five hundred visits to individual elephants, with around six hundred Ellie selfies uploaded to its gallery. Sarah Matthews, business development manager for St Richard, said. It's wonderful to see so many people exploring the trail and reconnecting with friends and family here in the city. The app is a really great way to discover the sculptures as you can reveal and listen to facts about each elephant and artist alongside unlocking information about the city too. Most of all, we love seeing all the Ellie selfies. There are some brilliant snaps of people meeting our herd. Please keep them coming. Trail maps can be picked up at various places across the city, including the Trails pop-up shop on Broad Street and Worcester Tourist Information Centre. Handcrafted elephants and parade merchandise is also available at the pop-up shop. Worcester's big parade runs until Sunday, the 5th of September, and once the trail has ended, there will be final chance to see all 66 sculptures together at a farewell event at Worcestershire County Cricket Club on Thursday the 30th of September until Sunday the 3rd of October and again from Thursday the 7th of October to Sunday the 10th of October. A seemingly dead baby crocodile caused quite a stir in Worcester. It was believed the creature was an infant crocodile or possibly a caiman after it was found in a substation in Sydney Street or Gregory's Mill Street, Barbourne. As the animal was on a short shelf near the top of the transformer behind a locked gate in the street, it was unclear how it managed to get there. But when a Western Power Distribution engineer visited the substation following a call from Worcester News, they discovered the crocodile was a very realistic toy. A spokeswoman said... After reports that a crocodile had been spotted in a substation in the Barbon area of Worcester, one of our engineers visited the site and discovered that the animal was, in fact, a toy. It will now be removed. She continued, We would like to take this opportunity to remind customers never to enter electricity substations or to throw objects inside. Substations contain high-voltage equipment which can kill. Anyone who does lose an object inside a substation, his advice is to stay well clear and call 105, our emergency number, and wait for help to arrive. To keep a crocodile, alligator or caiman as a pet, people would need to apply for a licence under the Dangerous Wild Animals Act 1976, modification number 2, order 2007. Currently, there are no licences in place in Worcester for anyone to be able to keep a crocodile or caiman as a pet. Expert Colin Stevenson, Head of Education at Crocodiles of the World in Bryce Norton, could tell immediately that the croc was a toy. He said there was very little chance crocodiles would be able to live wild in Worcester. Even in the warmest UK weather, it's chilly for a crocodile. There have been crocs and alligators released in the UK. We have found one here that was found in a reservoir in Bristol. 
it wouldn't have been in the reservoir long before capture. If an alligator survived the summer months, it would start to decline in autumn and die by early winter. A larger animal, that is one potentially capable of giving a nasty bite, would not survive long at all before being seen and captured or dying. Crocodiles find seclusion in the water. Even now the waters here in the UK are not crocodile friendly. There is no threat to UK people by crocs surviving in the wild over here. Several polluted parts of the city were still close to breaching safe government air quality targets last year, despite a drop in traffic during the COVID lockdown. The latest monitoring data for pollution hotspots around Worcester show congestion-heavy areas such as the Butts, the Tithing and Fourgate Street were still recording high levels of toxic nitrogen dioxide and in some cases more than double what is considered safe. Average readings must be below 40 micrograms of nitrogen dioxide per cubic metre to meet government air quality targets. While the World Health Organization guidelines set this as a safe limit to protect public health. Whilst not one part of the city recorded an average figure above the government's air quality target of 40 micrograms in 2020, it was largely thanks to a huge reduction in traffic because of national lockdowns brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. The highest average nitrogen dioxide reading in the city was in the butts at 35.9, closely followed by Bridge Street at 35.6 micrograms. The average yearly reading for Lowersmore was 31.8, which was the third highest for the city, with the average reading in both Astwood Road and the Upper Tithing at 31.3. Monitoring data for pollution across the city for the first six months of the year was not included because of Covid and a change in the council's supplier. Raw figures for January and February 2020, which have not been used in the report, show dozens of areas of the city that have traditionally high levels of pollution, such as the Butts and the Tithing, Astwood Road and Bridge Street, as well as London Road and Fourgate Street, as recording levels way above the 40 microgram target. Monthly figures from July onwards also show higher and higher readings at some locations, breaching the 40 microgram target as early as August and dozens more followed in September. The average reading in the butts in September was 86.3, more than double the safe limit. In 2019, three areas in the city had dangerous levels of pollution with a further nine very close to breaching government targets. A teenager whose little sister died of cancer aged just seven has taken on a gruelling 99-mile cycling challenge in her memory. Blake Bishop, 16, and his neighbour Daz Cox set off from Acorns Children's Hospice Bath Road and made it to the Grand Pier in Western Supermare. They were two of Lily Mae Bishop's favourite places to visit before her death at the hospice on the 25th of June 2018. Worcester News followed Lily May's journey, which was documented on a Facebook page, Lily's Cancer Journey, by her mum, Liz Bishop. 
It took 13 hours for the pair to make it to the pier, which included a two-and-a-half-hour accidental detour to Clevedon. But despite the setback, the team completed the challenge and has so far raised over £1,000 for the hospice. His proud mum, formerly of Worcester, said, Lily May and Blake were so very close. Blake was five when she was born, and if she left the house, he would always give her a kiss, no matter who was around, and he would sit and play with her. Lily May loved going to Acorns, and had been going there since she was three. June 2018 was the last time she went in for respite care, and she had to stay, and we were allowed to stay too. Acorns did everything for us. They cooked tea, provided snacks, did washing. They also looked after us, so we didn't have anything else to worry about. He remembers that care and how we were treated like family and wanted to say thank you. Blake was inspired by his mum's skydive in July 2020, but was too young to take on the challenge himself. He kept on and on about doing it, and set up the page and was adamant he would do it. Today he seems absolutely fine, but is feeling shattered and his legs hurt a little. I'm very proud of him. To donate, visit www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Blake hyphen cycle. The Grand Pier in Western Supermare has donated two wristbands for unlimited rides, which the family will raffle on the Facebook group. One of Worcester's finest historic homes has been officially reopened as a retirement village. Mount Battenhall underwent a huge transformation from St Mary's Convent Private Girls' School to retirement home. Enterprise Retirement Living, the firm behind the project, represented Mount Battenhall Retirement Village, their third retirement village, to a number of special guests at the official opening ceremony last week. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Stephen Hodgson, and Georgina Britton-Long, the great-granddaughter of the Honourable Alfred Percy, and Maud Alsop, also attended. Alfred Percy Alsop acquired the property in 1890, intending to create a special home for his bride-to-be, Maud. In a statement, Enterprise Retirement Living said they were extremely proud to present the stunning renovation, restoring Batten Hall House back to its full glory. Without exception, the attending guests admired the beautiful building and exquisite landscaping. Guests were welcomed by some amazing living statues and once inside the building they were greeted with refreshments whilst a string quartet played on the stage in the music room and guests ate canapes, all handmade by the firm's executive chef from its retirement village in Chester, Borton Hall. After speeches from Neil Davison, the managing director of ERL and the mayor, Jim Pegg, Chairman of ERL, introduced Georgina Britton-Long and invited her to unveil a commemorative plaque in her honour. Georgina then gave a lovely speech to all the guests recounting stories of her ancestral family and Battenhall House. Following the formalities, many of our guests were delighted to have a tour around the grounds. 
visiting the stunning show suite and the original chapel located in the main building. Mr Davison said, ERL are very proud to open the third village at Mount Battenhall. The launch was a great success and it was wonderful to hear music and laughter in the building after being empty for so long. We are pleased to have just welcomed our first few owners to the village and look forward to the vibrant community it will become, with many more events for our owners, their families and friends to enjoy. A multi-million pound pavement repair programme is getting underway this summer. Nearly 70 footways in the county have already been repaired by the council, with more than 40 planned for the school holidays. This will bring this year's total work to more than 250 improvements. According to Worcestershire County Council, £8 million has been invested to improve and maintain the county's footways in this financial year. This represents the biggest ever investment in the county's footways since the programme started in 2009 and when complete will be equivalent to 85 kilometres of improvements. Councillor Alan Amos, Worcestershire County Council's Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport said, This county-wide programme of footway works represents a significant investment in Worcestershire's infrastructure. People care passionately about their footways, as do we, and we know how vital to the county's highways they are. This programme showcases our commitment to keeping our footways safe for everyone to use. We also realise footway work involves short-term disruption, for which we apologise, but it leads to long-term benefits. They will hugely improve the quality of life for local residents, who may not have been able to make full use of the paths when out and on foot. Worcestershire County Council's contractor, Ringway, writes to any residents affected to inform them of the works before they are carried out and asks them to remove parked vehicles if appropriate to enable the improvements to start. A drunken nuisance time waster who faked a cardiac arrest and attacked a paramedic has been warned she faces tougher sentences but there will be no compensation for her victim. Wendy Haywood shoved and swore at a paramedic who attended her home in Kingsbury Road, Worcester, and wriggled free of handcuffs when police arrived to talk to her about the attack on the emergency worker. Now the 56-year-old, who has also caused problems for her neighbours, has been made subject to a criminal behaviour order to better manage her bad behaviour. She admitted the assault, resisting, obstructing an officer, failing to comply with a community protection notice and breach of a conditional discharge. The two-year criminal behaviour order was granted by Worcester Magistrates Court. It has a single requirement that she attend an appointment with Cranston, which operates the Drug and Alcohol Recovery Service. This is not only part of her 12-month community order, but a positive requirement of the CBO itself. She faces multiple prohibitions, which include contacting the emergency services, including any non-emergency numbers used to reach those services, unless it is a genuine emergency, refusing to engage in a medical assessment and subsequent treatment when ambulance crew or police have attended her address, 
behaving in an aggressive or threatening manner towards emergency service workers or being verbally abusive towards them, causing a nuisance or disturbance in any NHS premises, behaving in a manner that causes others alarm or distress, including but not only by her behaviour displayed within her home address that causes annoyance to neighbours and residents in the locality. The chairman of the bench, David Shadwell, warned Hayward, if you breach it, it gets really, really serious. Magistrates did not order compensation to paramedic Stephen Hill, who was pushed at least three times by Hayward in the back when he visited her home in February, after she was called emergency services, claiming that she was suffering a cardiac arrest, which turned out not to be the case. When the same paramedic returned, after she called again an hour later, Haywood was verbally abusive towards him. Mr Shadwell said, We don't think a push and a shove warrants compensation. City councillors have backed plans to expand the car park at Worcester's County Cricket Ground by 86 spaces. At a planning meeting on July the 29th, councillors reviewed plans by Worcestershire CCC to resurface and expand their car park at New Road. As part of the plans, a new head wall would have to be constructed to help alleviate surface water and protect the area from flood flooding. Council officer Alan Coleman, introducing the plans to the committee, said... The proposal is to resurface and provide 86 new car parking spaces. It isn't the use of the site that concerns us, it is the resurfacing. We are happy with this proposal. The site would require drainage and a new headwall, but other than that we are happy to recommend approval. The car park mentioned in the plans is adjacent to the one shared by the Cricket Club and the Premier Inn on site. The site is situated beyond the existing car park to the north, associated with the Premier Inn Hotel on New Road. The area is used as an overflow area by Worcestershire County Cricket Club and is accessed via the hotel car park. The car parking area has been in operation for over 10 years and is separated from the hotel car park by an existing hedge. It is proposed to resurface the car park to provide 86 car parking spaces. Surface water will run off and be collected via a new permeable sub-base which will act to treat, slow and attenuate flows prior to discharge to an existing surface water drain with outfalls into the River Severn according to plans. Councillor Andy Roberts reviewing the plans called them perfectly reasonable and proposed approval. The proposal was seconded by Councillor Jenny Barnes and approved by the committee. And just a final item which made me smile. Um, A Worcester man is spreading some cheer by repairing garden gnomes. Simon Horton set up the gnome surgery after sharing his work on Facebook. He said, I've always kept gnomes, much to my wife's disappointment. We were doing up the garden and I thought they looked a bit shabby, so I repainted them. I shared the photos on the WR3 Residence Group Facebook page and since then, so many people have asked me about refurbishing theirs. 
Mr Horton's work has transformed more than 50 garden gnomes, giving them a fresh new look and bringing a smile to the faces of their owners. He added, I have had people offer me money, but I don't want it. I'm doing it for free as it is something I enjoy doing and it brings a smile to everyone's face. Some people have stories attached to their gnomes which might have belonged to their gran or someone so there is immense sentimental value to them. It is really special to be able to make something with such sentimental value look nice again and I've discovered that gnome owners are some really nice people. In restoring the gnomes, Mr Horton uses modelling paint which he says is much more durable than the varnish some gnomes are painted in. He added... I did a bit of research, but there is no written thing out there which says this is how you do it. I work for a paint company, so know a bit about the different types. For gnomes, you have to buy massive quantities, so I use modelling paint. It is really durable and then advise people to get them sprayed with lacquer. Mr Horton said he plans to paint more gnomes and leave some around with a note for people to pick up and keep if it makes them smile. <laughs> uh, OK, now we're going to do uh, one or two items on sport. Worcestershire Rapids continued their 100% record in the Royal London Cup with a huge win over Essex Eagles. Jack Haynes and Brett D'Oliveira notched their maiden centuries in the competition during a record first wicket partnership of 243 as the Rapids demolished the Eagles. Haynes was flawless in his maiden professional ton of 153, whilst his open partner, 123, made him the third generation of D'Oliveira to reach three figures for Worcestershire in the format as they racked up a total of 338 for seven. Essex collapsed to 17 for four in reply and despite Adam Wheater's 77, were bowled out for 156 and lost by 182 runs, their first loss of the tournament. Having been put in by Essex, D'Oliveira and Haynes strutted against a depleted home bowling lineup with Sam Cook at the 100 and Jamie Porter injured during his side's victory over Middlesex. D'Oliveira reached his 100 first off 95 balls, but Haynes was quicker in 91 balls as both passed the milestone for the first time in professional white ball cricket. The incredible stand ended on 243, a best for Worcestershire of any stand against Essex, when D'Oliveira picked out wide long on. That started a wicket tumble as Rapids lost seven wickets for 68 runs in 69 balls. Joe Leach was LBW to Aaron Nijar, Tom Fell was caught on square leg boundary, Jake Libby was brilliantly run out by Simon Harmer and Ed Barnard was caught behind. Haynes continued to accelerate but was finally stumped off Harmer for 153 of 128 balls. Gareth Roderick scooped a fine leg but Joshua Dell's 27 off 24 helped Rapids back up to a total benefiting the opening side. 
Essex top bowler collapse was even more emphatic as they slumped to 17 for four in the first six overs of the reply. Will Buttleman was Yorked fourth ball by Charlie Morris before Joe Leach had Tom Wesley bowled, Michael Pepper feathering behind and Ryan Ten Doskate leg before to an inducker. Weeter put on a 70-run stand with Alistair Cook before Ed Barnard took two in two as Cook and Harmer were dismissed in consecutive balls. Weeter and Najjar hold out to long on, Snater chipped to mid-wicket and Plom was stumped with the last three wickets all falling to that man, Brett Oliveira, three for eight. Worcester City have acted quickly to replace departing goalkeeper Dan Jezef by signing the former Bromsgrove Sporting and Halezo in town shot stopper Brendan Bunn. Jezef, having signed a contract for 2021-22 campaign with City last month, departed last week after Alvechurch came knocking and the opportunity to play step three football was something he couldn't turn down. It left Worcester temporarily without a keeper in the squad. But now manager Tim Harris has found his man to keep net with the season just in a matter of days away. Bunn played his part in the Yelts Memorial Run in the FA Trophy in the 2019-20 campaign in which they reached the semi-finals as one of the lowest ranked sides in the competition. They were eventually beaten in the semi-final by Concord Rangers 2-1 and just missed out on the final at Wembley. On securing a new number one, City boss Tim Harris said, To be in a position to sign a replacement as good as Brendan so quickly after the departure of Dan Jezef is very fortunate for everyone connected for the club. I have personally watched Brendan perform admirably for Hales Owen. He has a presence is a good goalkeeper that has played at a higher level. He also knows several of the squad, which will help him settle in quickly. He is cheerful character, and I'm positive it will not take him long and would like to officially welcome him to the club. Bunn has currently played behind current City skipper Craig Jones and often stand in Worcester captain Aaron Roberts while at Bromsgrove Sporting back in 2017. City will hit competitive action this Sunday in the extra preliminary round of the FA Cup against Coventry United at Daventry Town at two o'clock kick-off. The game has been moved away from United's regular home ground as the stadium is unavailable and it will now be played in Northamptonshire. The Midland Football League Premier Division campaign then kicks off the following Saturday at home to AFC Wolfronians before another home game four days later against Highgate United at Clanes Lane. Worcestershire County Cricket Club have signed Australian Matthew Wade for the 2022 campaign. The wicketkeeper batsman has made more than 170 international appearances across all three formats. Wade has played 36 tests, hitting four centuries, two of these coming in the drawn 2019 Ashes series. 
He said, I'm really looking forward to joining up with what's an exciting group of players at Worcestershire for next season. I have always wanted to experience the challenge of a full season of county cricket and I jumped at the opportunity to join Worcestershire as soon as it came about. New Road is one of the world's most recognisable cricket grounds and I love playing there as part of the Ashes Tour in 2019. I can't wait to get going. Wade captain Australia for the first time in a T20I versus India last December at Sydney Cricket Ground and skippered Victoria to two Sheffield Shield titles. He has scored 8,492 first-class runs at an average of 40.82, in addition to 4,675 list A at 32.69, and 2,901 T20 at 27.11. Cricket Steering Group Chairman Paul Pridgen believes the addition of Wade is a signal of intent from the club. He added that he feels the 33-year-old's leadership and willing mentality will rub off on the younger players at Worcestershire. Pridgen confirmed, we have signed him as a batter he is a real hard-nosed batter in red ball cricket and a dangerous striker in white ball cricket. We think he will add a lot to our group and will be particularly helpful for the young players. He is a real winner, he knows how to win and we feel that will rub off on some of the young lads and be good for their development. It is almost like an old-fashioned overseas signing in that sense and he is going to come and play all formats for the entire season, something that does not happen very often now. Pridgen added, We have been conscious that we needed something at the top of the order to spark us. He gives us a lot in all three competitions, and it is a sign of our intent to try and continue to improve. It is great to get it done and dusted so early for the next season. And that is the end of our contribution for this week. Thank you uh, very much for listening. And it just remains for me to say goodbye and until next time. Goodbye. goodbye. Uh, and now for the obituaries. Doreen Rose Collins passed away on Thursday the 8th of July. Funeral service will take place on Friday the 13th of August at Worcestershire Crematorium at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, to British Heart Foundation or Cancer Research UK can be left in the donation box provided or sent directly to the charity. All inquiries to AV Band Funeral Directors. Marion Nay Robinson Bunting passed away 12th of July. In accordance with her wishes, there will be no funeral service. Remember me alive. Donations, if desired, for Diabetes UK may be sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. Jessica Monica Mary Walters passed away on the 13th of July. 
The funeral service will take place at St George's Church, Worcester, on August the 4th at 10am, followed by a burial at Westall Park Natural Burial Ground. Donations in memory of Jesse can be made for Worcestershire Wildlife Trust. All inquiries to George Crump and Son. Anthony Duggan passed away on Thursday 15th of July. The Requiem Mass is on Tuesday 10th of August at 12.30pm to be held at St George's RC Church in Worcester followed by the committal service at Worcester Crematorium. There will be a reception later for family and close family friends. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired to Alzheimer's Research UK and Dementia UK. Jennifer Stevens passed away peacefully on the 20th of July. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 6th of August at 9.30am. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for Worcestershire Animal Rescue Shelter may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Margaret Rose Pritchard passed away peacefully on the 20th of July. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 6th of August at 1.45pm. Family flowers only please, but donations for St Richard's Hospice, if desired, may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. At the request of Margaret, please wear a splash of blue. Sheila Francis Anderson, nay Timings, passed away on July 21st. Cremation in Hampshire to be followed by a family burial and thanksgiving at St Mary's Church, Kemsey. Doreen June Robbins passed away peacefully on the 21st of July. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 12th of August at 3.15pm. Donations if desired for their air ambulance may be placed in the collection box available at the service. Flowers may be sent to the Cooperative Funeral Care, 17 Lowesmoor. Rosie DeLord, it is with a heavy heart that I sadly announce the passing of my beloved daughter Rosie. All my love, Mum. Wendy Cummings passed away July the 22nd. The funeral service will take place at St John the Baptist Church, Whitbourne on Tuesday, August the 17th at 11.30. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Macmillan Cancer Support, Marie Curie and St John the Baptist Church, Whitbourne. Inquiries to Emma Booston Funeral Services, Bromyard. June Hazel Crawford passed away peacefully on July the 22nd. Funeral service to be held at 1pm on the 16th of August at Clanes Church, followed by a private internment at Astwood Cemetery, Worcester. Family flowers only, but donations, if desired, are for Dementia UK. In memory of June, can be sent to Worcester Funeral Services. Gillian May Allen passed away on 22nd of July. 
Her funeral is to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 6th of August at 12.15. Family flowers only, but donations if desired to the UK Wild Otter Trust can be left at the crematorium or sent to Worcester Funeral Services. Martin Schillenberg died suddenly on the 23rd of July. Donations and inquiries to A.J. Wakeley and Sons, Bridport, in Dorset. Anne Amos passed away July the 23rd. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 9th of August at 3.15. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the Salvation Army and St Peter's Church, Martley, may be sent to Emma Booston Funeral Services, Brumyard. Stella Tolly passed away 26th of July. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 12th of August at 10am. Families for hours only, please. Donations, if desired, for the NSPCC may be placed in the collection box available at the service. All inquiries to co-op funeral care. Patricia Dora Aileen Baldry, nay Clements, on July the 27th. Her funeral service is at the Church of St Mary de Witch, Witchbold. On Tuesday, August the 17th at 11am, followed by internment. Family flowers only, donations for Cancer Research UK, may be sent to E. Hill and Sons. Anne Champion, on July the 30th, her funeral service is at Pershaw Abbey on Wednesday, August the 18th at 2 o'clock, followed by cremation at the Vale Crematorium. No flowers by request, but donations for St Richard's Hospice and Camden Home Nursing, CIO, may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors in Pershaw. Our thoughts and prayers go with all those who've lost loved ones recently. <laughs>